Well, you can see we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, we just finished talking about community for a few weeks, and this morning we're going to start a new series called The Upside Down Kingdom, and uh, it's, uh, it's a description of what happens you know, when Christ comes into your life. It's a description of what Christ has done um, in the world, and we want to talk about it, and the, the context of it is going to be the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is arguably the most famous uh, sermon that Jesus ever uh, preached. Uh, he preached these series of things a couple of times. It's recorded, uh, parts of it are recorded in different, um, uh, different books of the New Testament, in the different books of the Gospel, but the, the primary one is in Matthew, and it starts in chapter 5, and it goes through chapter 7. We're going to spend the next couple months looking at the Sermon on the Mount. So this morning we're going to start off, and, and uh, one of the things about the Sermon on the Mount that is so unique uh, and so different for everyone is that it challenges uh, everything that we think we know, uh, that it takes all of the ideas that we think really, uh, that we, we think really make us, uh, make us uh, different, make us unique, and, and challenges them. And Jesus did that exact thing. When he walked the earth, he came into the synagogue, he entered into life with people, uh, he challenged the Pharisees, and, and everywhere he went, he turned things upside down. He changed the, uh, the way they were thinking. And one of the primary things that he did uh, was that he, he took this idea uh, that, that we have held on to so tightly uh, of the more information that we have and the more that we conform to the norms that people have for us, uh, then the, the better the person that we are. And so you think about the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They knew the law. Uh, they, they knew the prophets. Uh, they knew how to obey the law. They, they had contests that who could look the most pious, who could look the most religious, uh, who could do the most religious things uh, to, to try to create a status, to try to create a position for them. And it was really more about how you looked, how much you knew, how much you conformed to the rules than anything that was really going on on the inside. And so what Jesus said is that, it, and I think we have a slide here, it's not, uh, in, it's not being informed or conformed, but it's being transformed. Jesus said, what I'm concerned with way more than anything else is not how you behave, and it's not how you look, and it's not how much information that you have, but have you been transformed? Have you been changed from the inside out? That what he's looking for are hearts that have been changed uh, by his spirit, that lives that have been changed through Christ, not people who behave better. You know, this is one of our problems, right? Because I know I grew up in this. I grew up in a Christian home. And, and it was really about uh, behavior a lot. I had a theory when I was in high school um, that if you never got in trouble, no one would ever worry about whether you knew Christ. The kids that everybody worried about were the kids who were always in trouble. And so if I just behaved well, nobody would ever ask me if I loved Jesus or not because I looked like I did. And, and, and it didn't seem like people were concerned about my heart. It was really about how was I behaving? How was I getting along? How was I treating people? How, how, was, I, uh, how was, I, was I polite with adults? You know, those kinds of things. And, and those were the things that we were measured by. And Jesus came and he said, I'm going to flip that upside down because what I'm really concerned about is who you are on the inside. I'm really concerned about transformation, not, not being informed 
or conform to a certain set of rules, but I'm interested in are you being transformed from the inside out? And so when he began this uh, Sermon on the Mount, when he began to talk about what it means, he started with this idea. Uh, I was... Um, I uh, saw on Facebook this week, one of the kids in the church got his driver's license. So just a heads up. Okay, there's another one on the road. Um, got his driver's license last week, and I was thinking about that, you know, and, and what if you, you know, you get pulled over by a police officer, and you've been speeding or you've broken some other law, and not that I would ever speed, but we're just somebody else. Thank you. Um, and you're breaking the law and the, the police officer comes and, and you start off by telling him, uh, you know the little manual that you get, the little driver's manual, usually it's called Rules for the Road. And what if you started off by telling him how much you love that book? How awesome that little booklet is, that little manual called Rules for the Road and, and that you've pretty much memorized the whole book that you can quote them, ask them, ask any question about it. You can quote them sections out of rules for the road, uh, that you know it, that you treasure that, that you sleep with it under your pillow. It's the, it's the coolest manual that you've ever had and, and you really treasure it. And he says, well, then why, why aren't you doing what it says? Why hasn't it changed to be your behavior? And you see, that's what Jesus is gonna challenge us with. The, the part of the Sermon on the Mount is that it's gonna, at some point in the Sermon on the Mount, we're all going to be uncomfortable. So if you get a little bit uncomfortable this morning, just know that everybody's going to get their turn because that's what it does. That, that's what Jesus does. He's going to turn our world upside down. He's going to challenge us. He's going to say, look, I don't want you to just settle for having information. I don't want you to just settle for being a, trying to be a better version of who you are, but I want your life to be transformed, and I want it to be transformed uh, from the inside out, and, and that's what we're going to look at. Uh, if I were to sum up the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, it would be with two verses. The first one, uh, the first verse to sum up the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly the Beatitudes that we'll look at this morning, is this from Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. We've just talked about this. It says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you want to sum up the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, if you want to sum up the Beatitudes, that's where you start. To love the Lord your God uh, with all your uh, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Uh, and that the second part about uh, with the Sermon on the Mount is first he challenges us with this idea of transformation, to love God with everything that we have, to be all in, and then he's going to teach us, then he's going to challenge us to how we, how we live that out. Once we understand what it means to be transformed, then he wants to challenge us with how we, we live it out. So the rest of the Sermon on the Mount teaches us what this life looks like, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And, and so the second verse, and again, it's one of our most most familiar verses here at North, the second verse that will help us sum up the Beatitudes is to love the Lord, your, to love one another as Christ has loved us. First, we love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and strength, and secondly, we love each other as Christ has loved us. That's where the bar is set. That's what he asks us for. Transformation looks like that because when we start to think about what it means to love people the way Christ has loved us, the first thing we realize is we can't do it. We can't do it on our own. Have you ever started a, a home project, and uh, again, I'm just speaking from experience, and got to the point where you have Googled everything you, you can, 
you have made every, you've made six trips to Home Depot and you have finally said, this is way over my pay grade. I cannot do this. I got to get somebody in here to help me. I don't know if you've ever done that. I have done that on multiple occasions. I'm pretty stubborn. I still want to try it, but I'll finally get to a point where I have to get help. And here's what Jesus wants us to understand, that there are points in our lives when we, we feel like we have this whole Christian thing down pat. We feel like we understand what it means, but we come to a point in our lives when we recognize the fact that, man, this is way over my head. I, I don't have this down. I'm not getting this. I need help. And that's where the Lord says, that's where I want you to be. I want you to be looking for my help. So let's look at the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verses 1 to 8, say this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It just uh, tells you how long ago I first started learning those that I kept wanting to put in the shalls instead of going with will there. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They'll see God. Uh, Let me give you a little bit of context to this passage. Those are the Beatitudes. Those are the first part. We're going to finish the Beatitudes next week, but here's the first part. And a little bit of context in, in, uh, starts in, in uh, chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So here's the beginning. Uh, This is what we understand from the context is Jesus has begun his ministry, and people were coming from everywhere with all kinds of diseases, with all kinds of sicknesses, with all kinds of mental health issues, the demon possessed, all of these things. Uh, and, and it says, and Jesus healed them. That, that whether he touched them, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus treated everybody differently. However he did it, he healed them. And the crowds kept getting bigger and more people continued to follow him. And his, his popularity is growing. People are hanging on every word that he has to say. They're crowding around trying to be as close to him as they possibly can. And so the scene that we have is that in the very beginning, in Matthew 5.1, it says, and Jesus sees this crowd. And so he walks up onto the mountain where he can get a look at everybody's there and then it says when his disciples the 12 probably referring to uh, gathered around him it says that he sat down which is what rabbis did when when the rabbi was ready to teach when he wanted you to pay attention he would sit down so Jesus sat down and it says that he began to teach now I want you to get an idea because there's a of this because there's a huge crowd following Jesus so picture this 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 huge crowd of people coming up the mountainside. And then his 12 disciples are, are sitting around him. Maybe they're just sitting on the ground, finding places to sit. And the crowd's pulling in, 
But what it says is Jesus began to teach, and he's, there's two groups that he's talking to. At first, he's talking to his disciples. He's beginning to teach his disciples what it means to be his follower, what it means to be his disciple, what it means to have a transformed life. And so he's, he's teaching his disciples, but the crowd is also listening. The crowd is getting as close as they possibly can to Jesus. And, and so they're, it's kind of like they're overhearing what Jesus is telling his disciples. And it reminds me that anytime we have people gathered together, there's probably two groups of people that we're talking to. That we're talking to people who are already followers of Jesus. And then we're talking to a broader group of people who are maybe, maybe here because they're curious or you lost a bet or you just decided it was time to go to church. I know a few of you, the nine, at 1045, they would have been guffawing over that, okay? I just want you to know. But... Uh, but whatever reason, you're part of that crowd and you're here. And, and so I just want you to know that I'm so glad, all of you, because these are the words of Jesus. And they matter more than anything in the, the world to us. And, and so here's how Jesus started. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, he begins with this idea of blessed. And, and it's really, this is a, a really hard word for us to translate because it's so rich and, and so deep. Sometimes people want to transfer, tra- translate it, I'm sorry, happy. And that can work, but it's just not deep enough. It's not real enough because I, I, can, you, you, you know, I can give you some money and I could probably make you happy for a while or happier, right? And, and then once that's gone, that's sort of, okay, what's next? And... You always want more, but this kind of happiness, this, this is sort of a deep, significant, restful happiness that can only come from Christ. That's what he's talking about. He, he, when he says blessed, he's saying, this is something I'm giving you. It's something so deep. It's so significant. It's so whole. It's like the shalom. It's, it's a wholeness. He said that, that you can only get that from me. There are ways that you can make yourself happy for a short time. There are ways that you can make yourself feel better for a period of time. But if you want the kind of happiness, the the deep, residing happiness that I offer, this is where it comes. And he says, it starts with this. This kind of blessedness starts when we're poor in spirit, when we recognize that we're poor in spirit. Now, we don't like anything poor, right? That's sort of an anathema to us. We like rich we like wealthy. We like, you know, good things. We like all of those. And here's Jesus saying, here's the very first step to real transformation. Here's the very first thing that I want you to understand is that you're most blessed when you recognize the fact that without me, you're completely bankrupt in your spirit. You're completely lost. You're completely empty that you don't have nothing. And so Jesus is saying that until we get to that point in our lives, until we recognize the fact that without him, we are completely lost, that, that we're, we're without hope, that we have nothing, until we get to that point in our lives, we'll never really experience transformation. We'll never really know what it's like to live the blessed life. 
And so there's a point in our lives when we have to understand, when we hit that point where I've read the owner's manual, I've Googled it 10 times, I've gone to Home Depot as many times as I can, and I can't get it. I'm lost. I have no hope. I have no way of accomplishing this. I can't do it on my own. And Jesus says, now you're getting somewhere. When we recognize that we're poor in spirit, when we recognize that without Christ, we're without hope, that we're lost. Now we're, we're getting someplace. And here's what he said. The very first thing uh, that he promised us is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the very place where Christ resides, that he leaves nothing out of our lives, that he not only fills us, he restores us, he gives us a place. But it all begins with being poor in spirit. And so until we get that, that the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of the Beatitudes aren't gonna make as much sense to us. Well, the second, the second Beatitude, the second place that he goes, it naturally follows blessed are the poor in spirit because it's blessed are those who mourn. When I recognize that I am poor in spirit, when I recognize that, that I am bankrupt without Christ, and I recognize that condition is because of what I've done, because of my sin, because of my rebellion, uh, because of my willingness to just try to conform and get more information than rather, that rather than having transformation happen in my life. It, it, when, but when I recognize that I am bankrupt, the very next thing is that I mourn that condition, that I grieve over my circumstances, that I'm poor in spirit, and now I say, Lord, what do we do? Uh, maybe you want to call it repentance, that I'm going one direction, I turn around, I go another direction, I say, Lord, I'm going to pursue you, I want to come after you, I, I, I don't have the answers to this in my life, I need you. But we mourn our condition. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says, because they shall be comforted. In John 14, we find that Jesus promised a comforter, that he said, I'll send my spirit to be your comforter. So blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. And then the third thing that we'll like just as, uh, we'll like as less than any of the others probably is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So here's the, Here's the process that Jesus wants us to understand. We recognize that we're bankrupt, that we're poor in spirit. We mourn that condition. And then meekness, blessed are those who are meek. Meekness is now, Lord, that you've, we've settled this, that I'm bankrupt in my spirit. Now that, we've, that, now that I've mourned that, I've repented of that, where do you want me to go? Where are you gonna take me? And meekness means someone who's easily led. Uh, we think meekness is synonymous with weakness, but that has nothing to do with it. You, you could exchange, actually, the, the words gentleness and meekness, but you get the idea of one now who is easily led. That's, that's somebody who Christ can lead, somebody who Christ is going to direct. Uh, this idea of blessed are the meek, or blessed are those who have found themselves in a place where Christ can lead them, can direct them. Until we're poor in spirit, we, we don't know what it means to be led by Christ. Until we've mourned that condition, we're not ready to be led by Christ. But he says, blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. It's a posture of humility. Now, the, the next one that Jesus talks about here is verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now we're getting somewhere, right? Okay, I, I was getting a little tired of being poor and, you know, mourning and meek and all of that. I'm ready to be satisfied, right? But do you see how the process works in our lives? Uh, that, and, and here's what Jesus said, blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, that you want it more than anything in the world, that you get to a point in this process where you say, Lord, I just want you. What I hunger for is you. What I thirst for is you. And I want you to be my world. I, you are my savior. I want you to be my Lord. I want to hunger and thirst after you more than anything else in the world. I want to be willing to strip away those things that would keep me from being transformed into the person that you want me to be. And we all settle for second best from time to time, don't we? I, I, brought, a, I brought a prop with me this morning. So awesome. I brought donuts. And a uh, you love donuts? I do. I, I really like them. This is a good one. And you know what? I, I'm, I think I really like donuts. I'm choking. I, I, I really think that with a big glass of milk or another cup of coffee, I could do that whole plate right there. Because these are so good. And this is like pumpkin or something. I'm really not good with like distinguishing between but it's got a lot of glaze on it, and that really matters to me. But, so I could eat this. Uh, does anybody want one, by the way? You guys okay? Sharon, would you? All right. Next, next service, there'll be like a bunch of young millennials. They'll be rushing the stage. I'll have to get help. I'll have, to have security. But, okay, seriously, I could eat these a long time. They're so good. And, but there comes a point when I'm eating these that I don't know about you, but I kind of go, Ugh. okay, now I'm, okay, I need something green. You know, I'm starting, starting to, you know, I'm turning green, but I need, to, or maybe some protein. Anybody got a steak handy, you know, because it's just, you can only do this for so long. And, and then you start to pay for it, right? And I, I tell people I'm, I'm like an 80-20 person, right? Uh, eat really healthy 80% of the time, 20% of the time. I just gorge, you know, donut, give me pizza, whatever. But, but you can only eat like this for so long. And then you really just start to long for something more substantial, more significant, that's better for you than this. And when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, he's talking about people that suddenly find themselves in a place where they hunger for more. They're thirsting for something that's real, something that's deeper, something that's more significant than, than all of the other stuff that they think they need in their lives. All of the toys that they think really matter. 
all of the things that make you feel good for a moment that, that you think really uh, you've, you, when you have them you've arrived that there's a point in your life when all of a sudden you say no I need something better than that I need something more real than that I need something more significant than that in my life healthier than that in my life and Jesus says that's when you're hungering and you're thirsting after righteousness that you want something real you want something significant. You want something healthy in your life. You know, if I were to tell you that there was going to be a great molasses flood, everybody be careful. Everybody beware. You'd look at me like, okay, he's a little old, you know, starting to lose it. What's going on? But there's a great story. 1919, Boston, Massachusetts, there was a distillery that used molasses in making their alcohol. And they decided to cut corners and they had a guy build a huge vat for them, 50 feet tall, this vat, that held two and a half million gallons of molasses. Are you following me? That's a big vat, okay? And this guy built that vat, but he wasn't an engineer. He never got permits for it. Uh, he, he never had it checked by any um, formal group. They just filled it with molasses for their distillery. In 1919, they just put a fresh um, amount of Puerto Rican molasses in this huge vat, and it burst. The rivets started popping off because what they, what, what they, what nobody else knew but the people that owned the company is that the steel wasn't thick enough to hold that much molasses. Uh, the rivets weren't tight enough to to contain that much molasses, and for years it had been leaking. So you know what they did? They painted the whole tank brown, and then when it leaked, they would just go and paint over the leaks brown so you couldn't see the leaks. In, in the tank. And, you know, you apply that. Finally, it broke. And there's something like, I, th I think I have a couple of pictures here. Okay, that's what it looked like. Now, you can imagine that's all molasses just flooding down. And th there, can you imagine the first responders coming to rescue people? And, and here's what they said, is that the good news is they were able to save a bunch of people, but they tracked molasses all over Boston. And for decades, there were places in Boston that you could still smell molasses. For decades. There's a newspaper from 1919, 11 dead. That number actually went up. Eventually, there were 150 people injured in this onslaught of molasses. Because instead of doing it right, somebody just kept painting the tank brown. And this is our life. You see, when I, when, when I settle for information and being conformed, I'm just painting the tank brown, but it isn't built to hold. It's not built to hold real life. It's not built to hold 
all of the things that are going to happen in my life. It's not uh, built to hold all that's going to fill my life, all that's going to happen in, in my life. But I just want to look good. I want you guys to feel like that I'm a good guy. I want you guys to feel like that I'm, I'm on the right track. I, I, I want you to like me. I, you know, I want you to respect me. And so rather than dealing with the issues in my life, I'm just going to keep painting that tank brown so that nobody sees it. But here's what happens in our lives. At some time, at some point, the rivets are going to start to blow and that tank is going to start to go and everything's going to explode and people are going to look and say, what happened to him? And it's because we didn't settle for the real deal. We didn't start where Jesus called us to start. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you and the first thing that you understand about your life is that without Jesus, you got nothing. Without Jesus, we're completely lost. We're bankrupt in our soul. We don't have a shot. And when we recognize that and we mourn that condition, then he starts to bless us, then he starts to lead us, and then we start to hunger and thirst after the things that please him, and we begin to see what God can do with a life, not what we can do with our lives, but what he can do with our lives. What are you looking for in life? How do we get there? What is it that we really hunger and thirst after? Maybe that would be a great quiz for us. Here's a little quote by C.S. Lewis in an essay that he wrote called, the Weight of uh, wrote called The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joy when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Doesn't that sound like us? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so let me just say this, that let me just dispel one illusion because some of you, might think just because I get up here every Sunday that I have this down, right? Um, but I'm at this exact same spot as you are. That if I'm just painting the tank brown, trying to look good so that you guys will all think, well, I'm, you know, some super spiritual person, then we're all just lying to ourselves. But my life is built on the truth that without Christ, my soul is bankrupt. Without Christ, I'm lost. It's built on the fact that I mourn that condition, that I repent of that condition, that I, that I want him to lead me. I want to hunger and thirst after the things that belong to him. But I have to keep being drawn back to that place because all of those other things start to creep in, all of those other desires, all those other hungers and delights start to try to take over in my life. And I need to be brought back to who I really am in Christ. And, and what he means to me and what he means in my life. And so here, here's, the, here's the challenge for us this morning. Uh, the, the, the challenge is that we'll be really honest with our lives. That, that have you focused on being better informed and conformed? Or have you said to the Lord, Lord, I want to be transformed. I want to be transformed by you. The Apostle Paul t says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that what Jesus is looking for in our lives is transformation. He wants to bless us. He wants to change us. He wants us to experience everything. He wants us to inherit all that he has for us. He's offering that to us. The question is, are we going to settle for something less? Or are we going to go for everything that the, that the Lord has? I know that I'm blessed. I know I'm blessed because Christ told me I'm blessed. He said, blessed are you when you recognize how much you really need me. The goal this morning is transformation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to study the Sermon on the Mount and this morning the Beatitudes, and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would challenge us, uh, Lord, that you would pierce our hearts with your word, with your truth. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you love us so much that you tell us the truth. And Lord, I pray that we would take this to heart. Uh, pray, Lord, that it would strike us brand new this morning how desperately we need you. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to cover these for you, Tony, okay? I don't, you know, all right. Now, seriously, man, I don't want you to be tempted too much.